Hello, welcome to the HR Champions Podcast. My name is Phil Scott, and I bring to you exceptional leaders from the HR industry. In this podcast, we'll be discussing their careers to date, their passion for HR, and the challenges they have faced along the way. I hope you enjoy listening. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Professor Christine Bamford, Program Director at the Stepping Up Program and also CEO of Women's Coin. Christine has received an award for the Stepping Up Program in recognition of diversity. And I thought today I'd invite Christine onto the show to discuss all about it. So Christine, I'm gonna pass it over to you. Um, if you'd just like to give an introduction to who you are to the listeners, that'd be fantastic. Thank you very much, um, Phil. That's a really great introduction. Hi, everyone who's listening. Uh, I'm, as they say, Professor Christine Bamford. We've already given the introduction, but probably to say that I've had a, quite a lengthy career in HR, but my passion has been more towards the organisation development and uh, leadership development rather than just the process side. So I'm going to ask you to start at the beginning, the very beginning. How did you first get into HR? Well, I was in, I have to say, my early 20s and I saw a job advertising staff manager and I thought, I can do that. It's for a big retail outlet that was setting up a greenfield site. So I applied and I, I got the job. And it was, I have to say, quite a baptism of fire. Uh, we were recruiting 300 retail staff and training them, inducting. And, and then I ran the whole of the staff management function, as well as, I have to say, the kitchen and catering services and uh, the one thing I found about is great being in retail because you could do everything there was a manual for everything so even though I wasn't a trained professional I soon picked it up and so this was really really learning on the job I have to say it was quite a challenge working with unions obviously there were a number of social issues in uh, it was a new town so I very quickly learned how to manage the difficulties and also see it from a customer viewpoint in our job description we had to spend so many hours on the shop floor and this was the first time I really understood about going back to grassroots looking at it from a different perspective not just staff but also the customers who you serve Thank you. So and, that's um, how I got into HR. And what is it you like about working in HR? Oh, I really love the people elephant. Now, I know a lot of people say that. And of course, you do have to make some quite hard decisions along the way. But people are the heart of the business. And actually, they make the business, whether it's successful or whether it continues to progress and succeed or whether it just moves into downturn. People really are the most important asset. What have you have been your major achievements to date? Can I can I give you three that I would say are, are life changing? The one that always sticks in my mind was undertaking an assignment for World Health in the Middle East. Of course, I hadn't actually done this before. I'm working in a different culture, and I was advising the Minister of Health for the pay reward system and introducing new technical assistance in, in the nursing establishments right across the United Arab Emirates, a whole different variety, different culture. 
a mix of nationals and non-nationals. And I also were training the nurse leaders. So this was, you know, totally out of my comfort zone, I have to say. Um, the, the, the wheezy part about it was I had a blue UN passport, which was quite an experience in itself. But being in a different culture and being a minority in a different culture, for me, was a seminal point in my life. And I learned how to manage different nationalities and cultures and produce recommendations, HR recommendations that I felt would fit the culture of the, of the country, really. And, uh, you know, suddenly to be catapulted into, and I was around, I had the press there every day, uh, working directly to the Minister of Health and the Federal Director of Nursing. It was an extremely challenging and but rewarding process and understanding, of course, faith and how important faith is and the importance of women working. For me, the outcome was a call by the president's wife for women to join the nursing profession. And that was previously unheard of. That was a huge challenge. <laughs> and that, that, if you like, has fueled my passion and desire for equality and diversity. What was the other... Uh... So what were the other ones? <laughs> um, well, the other achievements were going into Welsh Parliament. It was a new assembly, Welsh Assembly, which was then moving to uh, parliamentary processes. And the two things, taking forward whole country consultations, I was sort of headhunted into the role and was the director of organisation development in Welsh government. So that involved, as I say, whole country consultations, leading a bill th team through parliament, which I had never done before, uh, in dual language, Welsh and English. And understanding, if you like, modernising civil service practices and processes, which I was asked to do. So that in itself, if you like, is a transition from up to then my career had been, apart from the early stages in the NHS, moving into civil service and into parliamentary bill processes. And then from there, I started, I went back into director of leadership and setting up a leadership agency in Wales. I'll bring it on to um, the sort of current, the Stepping Up programme, which you've been programme manager of. For the listeners that haven't heard of the Stepping Up programme, can you give us a quick overview of what that is? The Stepping Up programme is a talent pipeline across a whole city and region that consists of diverse individuals from Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, disabled, female professionals and LGBTQ+. So right across the special characteristics and really has been developed to be able to have like a, a talent pipeline for all organisations across all sectors so that we can change the diversity in top leadership roles across an area, across the city, across the region. And, and, and the one you've been involved with is for the Bristol area and how, how is it funded and who's involved in it? Well, I have to say that this was not my vision. It was the vision of the mayor. We have a black mayor here in Bristol. And uh, his vision was, of course, when you look across the whole area, there are very few diverse faces at the top of organisations. So the mayor with the deputy mayor, Councillor Asher Craig, set the vision. But it was me who became what we call the architect. So how does you make that happen? And the programme director. So theirs was the vision. 
but it fell to me and our team, of course, to actually engage with partners right across the sector. So we have even Somerset Police, we have even Somerset Fire, we have all NHS organisations, the universities, our local authorities, and interestingly, our corporate partners from FTSE 100 companies to legal companies to banks. So uh, it truly is what I would call an ecosystem of partners coming together to support one vision, one aim, changing diversity across the top of organisations. I think you mentioned the local community, they provide the support and the infrastructure, the speakers, the venues, etc., And then the companies provide the delegates and they pay for places on this course. Is, is that That's right? right? That's right. Um, our first uh, cohort was uh, funded by Bristol City Council and West of England Combined Authority. So they have been helping as if you like pump primate, but people who are going on the programme, yes, their employers pay for them. Those who are unemployed, self-employed or working in not-for-profit, we find sponsorship money for them. So they have a bursary. So talk to me about cohort one. What, what's the <laughs> course? What's it entail? What's the programme entailed? What do the What's expected of them? What do they get out of it? Talk to me a bit more about that. So the programme, I would say, is multifaceted. And this was built on the experience, I have to say, previously of taking programmes across Wales. Um, So there's a number of elements, of course, as you would expect. There are leadership development modules, there's mentoring, and there's action learning sets. So in the main, they're the key elements. And then there's a sort of transferring all that learning into the workplace. So there's like a stretch assignment, as we call it, so like a project base, which actually helps transfer the learning that's happened off the modules and the actual learning sets and the mentoring back into sort of workplace solutions. So like a consultancy assignment. So they're the the key areas. And how long long is it? And what's the sort of time commitment? It's 12 months. The time commitment is around 25 days, so it is quite an ask for employers, but we actually came to that ask in what I would call co-production with our our partners. So uh, there was a process of negotiation before we started, and although 25 days is quite, quite a few days, it was agreed that this was probably the best amount of time without looking at secondments to be able to um, allow individuals to really get the skill uplift. How many was on cohort one? So cohort one was just for black, Asian, minority, ethnic, and we had 46 individuals on cohort one. And I know Um, you mentioned there was quite a few um, mentors as well, you know, within that, what's the sort of... So we had one-on-one mentors, but the interesting thing about the mentors is they were what I would call offline, so it wasn't from within their own organisation, and I think that was the critical factor, in as much as you have someone who doesn't know you, doesn't understand the culture, but when you're talking with them and they're supporting you as a mentor, that confidence that is passed across is quite amazing and it is that external view so if I just give you an an example from our external evaluation individuals were assessed you know where are they in confidence terms at the beginning of the program and where are they at the end and it was interesting that at the beginning the confidence levels were 37 percent but by the end it was 97 
so that is a huge uplift and and I put this down it mainly attributable to uh, the mentoring input uh, you know okay you've got the rest of it but that confidence lift is quite impressive and I know our subsequent evaluations are going to look at um, does it make a difference the number of mentoring sessions you have does it make a difference if it's out of sector but that lifting confidence has meant that it accelerated the motivation to apply for another role, another career move. And that shows similar lift ups, if you like. Um, during the programme, you know, you've got probably 40% at the start saying, yes, yes, of course, I'll go for another role. And that sort of lifts up into 88% by the end. So you can see how the confidence to apply for a different role and to progress in your career is there. And there's, of course, peer pressures, but it is the key elements of the programme that has produced those um, results, really. The mentors, are they sort of leaders from the local yep. business community? or? Yeah, they're right across the field, of course, but the commercial partners have really stepped up. And so, you know, we get really senior people, partners in, in big law firms stepping forward. Then we have, uh, you know, across all the other sectors, very senior managers. So, you know, to give their time is quite, quite a big ask and they give it willingly. So you can imagine that we are going out for mentors. So we take between 50 to 60 participants on every cohort. Plus we run our Somali women's program. So at any one time, we, we have 100 mentors in the city supporting diversity. Is it cohort three you're on at the minute? Or what? Yeah, cohort three. We're just recruiting for cohort four. And so we have 140 applications come through. Wow this week I know so we're in the process of shortlisting those uh, normally um, you know as I say we take between 50 and 60 and that's large by normal comparisons on programs but uh, like this we may be able to increase that because just looking at the applications amazing talent coming through it's going to be so so hard you know to, to decide who should go forward and I think that's it, uh, you know, it's one thing I would say, great, we're talking about the programme, but it's the participants, actually, who make it a success. And I call it like the genie coming out of the bottle. You know, we just release the top and all this talent comes out. It is truly remarkable. And up to now, most have struggled to progress in their career for one reason or other. So that, that in its main sense is, yeah, we've got all the elements of the right programme, but it's the participants who are growing and promoting and changing that diversity. Didn't you say that already from the first cohort or the first couple of cohorts that people have already seen results in their career so far? I'm sure there's yeah. a statistic. Yeah. Sixty odd percent, and even during uh, this year, which has been the most difficult with COVID and concerns about job, we're, the program isn't finished. The cohort three, and yet we're looking at twenty five percent who already made a career move. So it's, it's something. Of course, we are unashamedly about career career movement. So there is an expectation placed on individuals, but nevertheless, securing promotion is a, another thing. When, um, when you say career move, is that can that be internal or external? Yes, 
it can be you know today's careers don't necessarily just go up in hierarchy terms but they tend to be uh, i use the climbing frame analogy so there's all sorts of different ways in which you can become a leader and that's not necessarily what was deemed a traditional route so uh, yeah and um, we're, we're now seeing double double career movements so our cohort one one participant who had a legal background took a secondment and now has been uh, appointed head of DNI at a government actual department. So that's a really senior role. And um, within three years, she made that progression. Talk to me about then um, the program has received recognition and, and an award. Talk to me about that. Um, yeah, Fab. As as you opened up, um, we uh, put up our story together and the metrics. And I do think that's important. We were successful in getting through to the first stage. And then we were won the Diversity and Inclusion Award, CIPD, I should say. And we were really, you know, whew, this is amazing. And then we found that we were overall winners for the whole of the CIPD, which is, I have to say, I think a remarkable achievement down to the team, down to the participants. But there are a number of key elements, I think. One is the ecosystem of partners and the breadth and ambition of what we set out to achieve. And two is the impact measurement that we have. And three, I think we move so swiftly onto um, a learning platform when COVID hit, because normally we did this face-to-face. -face. I think the judges found that also impressive. You know, we moved from face to face to virtual in three weeks. It was a bit hairy, I have to say. So, so those were the, the key elements. Absolutely delighted to be part of a leading team to take that initiative forward and to be receiving the acknowledgement from CIPD is just, well, it's a great thing to have personally, but for the Stepping Up programme, really important. And, and that recognition it's heightened awareness hasn't it for um for yeah. what you guys have done um you know not just in the region but outside of the region yeah. it, has that led to conversations with other regions who might be thinking of adopting that if so uh, talk to me about that so uh, liverpool is very keen on adopting a similar of course you have to make it Liverpool-esque <laughs> rather than Bristol. So it has to reflect, if you like, the vibe of Liverpool and, and the brand of Liverpool. But this, I thought this was really interesting. They have a, a wider ecosystem than we have in Bristol. So stepping up have been Everton Football Club and Liverpool Football Club. And they have moved, if you like, centre field to lead the, uh, whatever they start to call it, I think it's step forward, step out, rather than a Bristol stepping up in Liverpool. So I follow a similar model, but isn't that interesting to see Premier League Football Club take diversity so seriously and to want to be in the, at the forefront of leading that, along with the Lord Mayor across Liverpool. City. Other regions, they interest yeah. in other regions. We've got interest, sort of. It's sort of coming through. I think a lot of people are sort of, you know, still kept with the, with COVID and all those restrictions. Some interest initially from Birmingham, of course, London, and because my company is in Scotland and my university there, which is uh, Napier. So we're hoping that uh, we will uh, be able to do something similar 
in Scotland out of Napier University, but probably not till later in the year or maybe even next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed. I think it's um, you know, absolutely fantastic what, uh, what you guys have done there. I'm going to bring it back on to you. I'm going to ask okay. um, the, uh, the listeners that uh, always like to, uh, to find out about the person uh, um, <laughs> so, and, and what, what you've learned. So I'm going to ask you some parts about your career. Give me three people who've been most influential to you. I think the three people most influential to me are Councillor Asher Craig, Deputy Mayor here in Bristol. Awesome awesome woman and it's it's a very I think a, a sisterhood if you like we feel very aligned different backgrounds different culture different ethnicity but we're so aligned in our values and I've learned greatly from her and I hope she from me too so that's very much I would call peer equal influencer in my life and um, you know I wouldn't have ever missed that it's it's enriched me uh, the other key influence was my boss in Welsh government, and that was Anne Lloyd, CB. Amazing, amazing woman leader. And she used to challenge me on a regular basis, I have to say. Um, quite a hard taskmaster, but, you know, she did give me very authentic feedback, I have to say, as well as just allowing me to run with a whole range of initiatives because she had confidence in my ability to do that. So very empowering way to lead people and manage people so I, I hope I have adopted some of her skills and techniques and the other person I would say is Professor Richard Boyatzis who you know generously gives his time and has coached me and he did the original research along with Daniel Goldman on emotional intelligence and he has now taken, if you like, the original EI into neuroscience, doing sort of amazing CAT scans on brains as the impact of, of good or bad positive influence in leadership has on people's cognitive ability and uh, well-being. Just astonishing breadth of research and experience. So I feel very fortunate to have had that influence in my life from a professional viewpoint. As a leader, how do you learn? What personal development do you do? I learn every day, I have to say. I go, oh, I didn't know that. But I, I do actively search out, you know, so obviously I'm scanning every day anything interesting coming up through the news. LinkedIn, I find to be really great to see what other people are doing. They also have some LinkedIn learning. Of course, normally in un-COVID situations, I will be on the international stage talking and so we'll be learning from uh, co-presenters, other experts in the subject, wherever I, I might be speaking, and that would range throughout the whole world. So I would say I'm probably still an active learner. I, I like to take others' viewpoints and reflect and reposition into my take on how I might be able to adopt different learning strategies. And of course, I'm working in a university with lots of bright people. And of course, my daughter, who challenges me regularly in, in the way she thinks. I think I learn also from the different generations. And of course, I am leading, stepping up. So I learn something from those participants as well as support them. So it is like a, it's almost like a, a daily routine, if you like. Every day, I'll, I'll either find something different about myself and how I react to things, 
or other people's viewpoints. It really is continuous learning and that keeps me fresh, keeps me up to date and stops me certainly from being stale. Have you made any mistakes in your career? Ooh, and if so, <laughs> what advice could you have, could you give to others so they don't make uh, the same mistake? Well, if you made a, a mistake, I always say just fall on your sword and admit it, right? Because there is something about humility and, you know, we're all, we're all human. Rather than try and cover up a mistake, just admit you've made a mistake. Just a, just a little a case study. We, we did have something we were working on for the ministers in Wales. And, um, you know, you have endless additions and uh, the wrong paper went out under my name on behalf of the minister well this did not go down very well <laughs> and that is really it I, you know, I have a slight dyslexia so i don't always notice things like different additions on the bottom of papers so i hadn't spotted it was the wrong edition going out so that fell to me so i just made a formal written apology to everyone had a bit of a grovel and it was uh, it passed over then you know, and people did say, we were just interested to see how you coped with that. <laughs> uh, so there is nothing wrong in admitting you made a mistake. And interestingly, the biggest mistakes are also the biggest learning. And, you know, it's like an interview question, isn't it? What have you learned from this and that? Mm. So sometimes something that could be deemed a mistake could also be absolutely important to you in how you move things forward. That uh, brings us pretty much up to time. Now, if anyone wants to reach out to you, mm -hmm. can they reach out to you? And if so, cool. what's the best way of, of doing that? You can reach out to me via my website, which is Stepping Up website, www, of course, steppingupbristol.com. There's a contact form there, and that's really the best way to do that. And we do get lots of contact. It, it's interesting. Or you can find me via LinkedIn and send me a message. Either way, absolutely, I will get to responding to you if you want to be in touch. And it's just great to say it's lovely to see people I've worked with over my career who still keep in touch, say, well, I saw you on LinkedIn or I saw you in CIPD. And as I say, taking into account this is my fourth career, it's interesting for me still to be reconnecting with those who I may have helped support very early on in their careers. It's very rewarding for me so if we've met in the past that do reconnect if you would like to know more about stepping up please connect if you just feel just like a bit of career advice then do connect that brings us up to time 25 30 minutes have just flown yeah. past there so uh, massive, <laughs> massive thank you to um professor christine bamford i hope the listeners have enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more episodes Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by HR Recruit, part of Exec Recruit Group. We are a leading independent recruitment company and we specialise in recruiting leadership roles for ambitious businesses. The Exec Recruit Group consists of a number of specialist brands and these brands cover the fields of human resources, finance directors, accountancy, marketing, technology and executive and C-suite positions. If you are looking to add to your leadership team, or you are looking for a position for yourself, then we would love to hear from you. For more information, please visit execrecruitgroup.com.